If you've got a Bible, you can meet me in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're a guest of ours, let me say a special welcome to you as well. My name is Mitch. I have the joy of being one of the pastors here uh, at Redeemer City Church. And it is a it is a great day to be gathered as the church. It is beautiful outside. You are beautiful inside. And uh, I'm sorry, I just this poetry just flows out of me. You can ask my wife. That's not true. But I want to welcome you, and uh, I'm excited to open God's Word with you today. I'm excited about Christmas Eve, excited about all the things Mallory talked about, and just the good things that God's doing here, and for your generosity, making those things happen, you know, for us to just get a phone call and be able to open our doors to Salvation Army and the Joe Madden Foundation was super cool. And uh, God's just God's just really faithful, really faithful. And one of the ways He's faithful is through your generosity. So that was awesome. And, and a whole nother part of that, and Mallory hinted that I would tell you more, and it's just because I'm selfish. I wanted to tell one story. I wanted one of those stories to be mine. All right? But, but we've been talking so much about Hot Dog Kenny, right? And uh, we've shown you the picture of the hot dog cart. Well, I'm happy to report on his behalf that uh, this past week was the first run with the hot dog cart. And uh, it was a smashing success. They gave out like a hundred hot dogs, fifty bag dinners, and just it was awesome. And they were praying with people and serving people. And man, like even if you don't have time to be there on Tuesday night, which if you do, you should go. It's an incredible ministry uh, that God is doing in this city. And we are serving people. You're serving people. And but even if you can't, just just your generosity to make that possible has been absolutely uh, incredible. So so thank you for that. It, uh, God is just on the move, and it's uh, it is so obvious and good, and we're super excited. And uh, they'll be back out this Tuesday, doing what they do. And uh, you know what an awesome thought. What an awesome thought. City groups are winding up and they'll kick off again in the new year, but we've had some great things. And let me let me add my encouragement to the Christmas invite thing. You know, it's really it's not really about just the invite, but it's about looking with Jesus, right? Looking with Jesus at your neighbors, at your family, with your coworkers and whatever spheres of influence you have that that all these other things like these invite cards, they're just tools to help you start a conversation, right? To help you go and make disciples, right? We're going to be disciples first, but then we go and we make disciples and, and we look with Jesus, just like he told his disciples, right? Look up with me at the harvest because uh, it's plentiful, but the workers are few, the laborers are few. So Christmas Eve is a, is a really easy, easy win for all of us to do what we are are called to do so let, let's uh, let's be about that it's going to be a going to be a great evening we've been planning for it and praying about it and ask you to pray as well and uh, what an awesome what an awesome evening that's going to be but it's thanksgiving week are you excited for thanksgiving some of you does that mean you have to work all week <laughs> that's good well we'll talk about that in a second but let me pray for us and ask for god's blessing on his word, and uh, then we'll we'll dive right in. Let's pray together. God, thank you again for for your word. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in this moment and uh, help us to see wonderful things in your word? We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Ephesians four. If you want to meet me there, 
But in the scriptures, we, we learn about two words that God has. We learn about two words. The two words are law and gospel. And in just two words, we really have the essence of the Christian faith, don't we? We, we, we have in two words all of the Christian faith. Because God's law on one hand condemns, but does not have the power to save. God's law is good in the fact that without it, you would not know exactly who you are. And without that right perspective that you are in a sinful condition, hopeless apart from Jesus, we want you to know that. That before the good news comes, you, we must be faced with the truth. With the reality that apart from Christ, that if today you're not following Jesus, my hope for you today would simply be that you would today, before you walk out of this place, recognize your need for Jesus. If you get nothing out of the rest of today, I want you to know that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And I get that that's not popular today. I get that that idea that, right, like one guy I heard say it this way, the only thing that humans like less than being told what to do is being told there's nothing they can do, right? Because then everything's out of my control, right? It's one thing if if I tell you what to do, it's a whole other thing if I tell you you can't do what you're supposed to do, right? And so it is before God. God's law held up to us is that mirror in His Word to help us see our sinfulness and our brokenness. And frankly, like it wouldn't take us long to follow each other around for a day or a week to recognize that that, that is absolutely true. That you and I, we're broken people living in a broken world with other broken people. And the evidence is all around us. And so God's law exposes that. The things in His Word uh, expose us for who we are. It, if you will, disrupts the order of shalom in this world. What is shalom? Shalom is universal wholeness. Universal wholeness, completeness, flourishing and delight found only in Jesus. And we experience it, as we've been studying in Ephesians, uh, both individually and corporately. That, that there's a beauty to what we are doing right now as the gathered body of Christ, declaring that Jesus is Lord. And that that's good news, in fact. That our collective witness, Jesus prayed in John 17, would be the thing that would show that the body of Christ is one. That you and I with all of our flaws, could sit here in this place and lift our hands together toward one person, Jesus. And that despite all of our differences, all of our flaws, all of our sins, that that one thing would unite us as brothers and sisters. It's really the only picture of heaven on earth. Maybe not the only We get some little glimpses, but it is certainly a declaration of it, a look at it, 
So, so there's this word law that shows you who you are. But then it's the gospel of Jesus that comes in behind that. Gospel simply means good news. It's an announcement. Often we treat it just as a doctrine. But it's actually an announcement. It's, if you will, picture somebody on the street corner shouting good news. It's an announcement that Jesus does not condemn, but saves. The law condemns you, but God did not leave you in that place. He sent His Son, according to John chapter 3, the Apostle John, close to Jesus, a friend, perhaps a best friend of Jesus, recorded in some of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, right? John 3.16. It's on the bottom of your Forever 21 bag, ladies. Right? Like, come on, it's everywhere. I was watching college game day yesterday and somebody in the background, big yellow sign, John 3.16. And you're like, man, like the gospel just cannot be put out because it is such good news and because Jesus is on the throne. But Scripture in John 3.16 says that For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son into the world. Right? The only Son of God so that you could be forgiven of your sins. But don't don't you love that it doesn't stop there? Verse 17 says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And so, though our sinfulness and though our condition and God's law shows us that we are condemned, it is actually the announcement that Jesus has come. It's Christmas. It's Emmanuel, God with us, that actually shows us and gives us hope that there is a way forward. And we need that way forward. (laughs) In a sense, my job as a pastor is to stand in the middle between where we are and where Jesus is and just invite you this way. And then remind myself that I'm over here and I'm inviting myself this way, right? Because there's nothing that separates me from you. The Bible says that we're all a kingdom of priests. You are, in a sense, a pastor to the people in your circle of influence. And so... We are here calling you, us, towards where peace and shalom are, that fullness, that satisfaction in Christ. Jesus is the way. This way, toward Jesus, is where your flourishing actually is. And that's just a flowery way to say what you're looking for is found in Christ. Wherever that hole in your heart is, wherever that lack of satisfaction is, wherever that little g God or idol is, that disrupted order of what God created in Genesis chapter 1. So, all of that encapsulates into this. Jesus is our vision. Shalom is His. Does that make sense? Jesus is our vision because Hebrews and Scripture calls us to come and lift our gaze and fix our eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus is our vision and Shalom is His vision, we have hope. So the law reveals us 
The gospel announces that Jesus desires to save us and that there's peace with God and a transformation happens. The Bible says the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's this transaction that takes place where you are given the Holy Spirit of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, as we'll study in a minute. But when that transformation happens, and we are literally reborn spiritually, earlier in John 3, that's the context, is John's having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And he was really religious, he was a really smart guy, and he just couldn't wrap his head around, what do you mean I'm going to be born again? Should I go back to my mom? You tell me the Bible is enough sarcasm. Come on. Nicodemus says, John, for real, I can't go back inside my mother, be born again. Look at me. And that's when John says those beautiful words in John three sixteen and 17. But because of that rebirth, that we're reborn spiritually speaking, we become new people in God's family. This is important that you grasp this. Because you're going to wonder, if all things are gone from my old life and I'm living this new life, why do I still like all the things in my old life? Maybe you're like me, you've been a Christian for a long time. Decades even. More decades than I like to admit. But, why do I still have a propensity to move towards the things that I know are wrong? Listen to this distinction, it's important for us. Because we become new people in God's family. Not in the sense that we never sin, but that our identity has changed. That sin and Satan are no longer our master. They're no longer our slaveholder. And because of that being true, everything in us and around us should take new shape among us. That that transformation will begin to happen and begin to shape and form who you are. And what you'll find is in that you will begin to desire those things of your former life less. This is peace with ourselves and peace with others. Shalom begins to happen, begins to take root as we studied last week. But look at Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1 and look at where the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's giving him these words to say, He says this in response to what we looked at last week. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It begins in this space, this place of walking in a manner worthy of our calling. At first glance for you and I, this feels like law, doesn't it? It feels like Law, but it is actually a reminder for us to root ourselves in love. Because if we pluck that verse out and we, we are tempted to look at ourselves and say, man, I'm not, I'm not walking in a manner worthy of Christ right now. And that would be true. But what is he talking about in the larger context of what we've been studying and what we'll study today? is that what he's talking about is you can walk in a manner worthy of your calling because your calling is not to what you can do, but what Christ has already done and the family name that he's already given you. And it's out of that realization that I'll start to walk in the way that I'm supposed to walk. 
But it's not going to happen if I just read that verse and say, I'm going to do better. Because you and I both know, I'm not going to do better. I'm married. We hang out. Stuff, you know, I have kids. Right? Like, not them. Me. <laughs> it's an important distinction. Love my kids. <laughs> but, If your Christian faith resides in what you can do, you'll be disappointed. And you're missing the point of your calling. Your calling is into the family of God. And then you can walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It's only rooted in flourishing in the love of God, overflowing out of your life, that you'll begin to walk like Jesus. Because there is much to do. And that's the tension, right? There is so much to do that you have to do, that we have to do, but why and how we choose to go about how we do that is the difference. It makes all the difference. Our calling is one of peace with God that makes a way to have peace with others, right? We studied a few weeks ago that that dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. It's in that reality that our flourishing lies, that our wholeness, our satisfaction in Christ alone will come. And by the way, not everyone will like that. Scripture is very clear in Romans 12:18 that it is in as much as you are able live at peace with all men. What's the confession there? That you being at peace with God and seeking to make peace with others, being an ambassador for Christ, other scriptures call you, that not everyone will like that. And that's okay. Because that's why we make that confession that, that I'm not God. I, I'm, the, I'm a messenger. <laughs> I come and I bring good news. And Scripture says how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Your job is a beautiful job. And it overflows out of the love of Christ to other people. But not everybody likes that. Satan didn't like it at all. His name was Lucifer, wasn't it? He was a worship leader in heaven. And he didn't like that. So there's going to be people in your life that that will not like it. And in fact, Paul tells Timothy as he's preparing for ministry, anyone who wants to live a godly life is going to suffer persecution. And what Timothy would find out later is that that came from outside the walls of the church and it came from inside the walls of the church. Right? And the pastoral letters make that incredibly clear. And yet, in that is this available inner peace with God so that no matter what happens around me or to me, I can live in shalom. I can be at peace with God. That's flourishing in this life. So with all the flaws we bring, that I bring to this community, to us as a body of Christ, we must come with a certain attitude a certain posture of our hearts, palms up, open to the Lord. And Paul gives us a beautiful picture of that here in verse 2 and 3. Look at this. He says this. He says, so we're doing that, walking a manner. What does that look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience. We're all out now. (laughs) We all need Jesus now. Look at this. Bearing with one another in love. Don't you love this next part? eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
humility, gentleness, bearing with one another in love, eagerness to be at peace with others. Some of your translations aren't going to use the word eagerness there. They're going to use the word making every effort. Have you ever had to make every effort at something? Like that separates separates the game, right? Like there's some things we know we're supposed to do and we, we try. Then there's some things that we love and we make every effort, right? It's like It's like when I... Uh, was dating Camden, you know, like certain things like, you know, I, I may have forgot once or twice, like, you know, when I was supposed to get her a Valentine's gift. Hasn't happened since, I promise. But, you know, that was one thing, but when I asked her to marry me, you think there was a difference in planning? Of course there was. Of course there was. And, and, and I made every effort. And, and that's such a shallow view of what God's talking about. Because think about this. Making every effort has, has two lanes to it, two connotations to it in, in the language that Paul was using in this day. It means, first of all, to use speed. That you would be the fastest person To want to be at peace with people. Eager. Hurrying to make peace. And to bear with other people. And then the second one is to labor. To work. Why? I hinted at it earlier because not everyone wants to be at peace. Not everyone wants to be at peace. So as you hurry to make peace with people, it's not always going to happen. And so what Scripture calls you and I to do, and this is is where walking in a manner worthy of your calling has to come from outside of you. Has to come from God. Because you and I, we make make that effort and then we go, you didn't want it, I'm out. It's the same thing that was happening with with Peter and Jesus. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Seven times, number of completion. I'm awesome. I've done it seven times, Lord. And Jesus goes, "Eh, how about 70 times seven? (laughs) And like we get caught up in the number that he said when the reality is Jesus is saying, make every effort. Use speed. Labor in it. However long it takes. Continue to go and make peace. I don't even like that verse. Because uh, let's, can I, like, I'm just being honest with you. There's just people like, I don't want to make peace. It's just way easier to not. Yeah, we're all convicted now. But listen to this. To be at peace with others with the Spirit active and present in our relationships. That sounds like human flourishing, doesn't it? That even when I'm being persecuted, that even when I'm suffering as a result of somebody else's decision, that I'm at peace with God and I'm laboring to make peace with you. (laughs) That comes from somewhere else. 
comes from Jesus. Theologically, this is really important. This is important to the essence of our faith. Look again at Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. Here's what's happening. It says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to how many hopes? One hope that belongs to your call, what he just called us to. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is only one church. That changes stuff. Our own story in bringing two churches together, if you're new to our body, it was just a few months ago that we brought two churches together. And we really don't know how to do that because most of the time churches don't come together. They split. And we're like, what a, what a unique story to tell. Because that's the heart of the Father, right? We've been studying about this family that God calls us into. And the reason it's possible is because it's not about us and what we do. It's about what Jesus has done and is doing and what's the best way to showcase that to this neighborhood. How can Tampa Heights best see the love of God? You and I laying our lives down for each other. Not saying, give me more of mine, but saying, what can I do for you? It's really difficult, but it's really awesome. It's amazing. What a passage. So this is important scripturally because the gospel, this proclamation about Jesus brings us to the scriptures to learn from Jesus. And when we do, we learn that God's loving desire for his church, his bride, his body, his kids, is that they would be one. It's that we would be one. You're called into one family because there is only one hope in Jesus. There's only one baptism, one Father who's an authority over all things. Jesus is that hope. And then we participate publicly with Him in our baptism, in His death and resurrection, as we enter the family of our loving Father called the church. You and I need all of that to fill up our love tank. I spent all that time making deposits in your love tank Because to read the next two sections of Ephesians 4 and do them requires you to have all of that love built up. Requires you to have a totally centered on Jesus Christ worldview. Otherwise you'll be tempted to go for these next sections in your own strength and for your own glory. And so will I. So with that in mind, look at Ephesians 4 verse 7. And look at what he says. Okay, this is important even in itself. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So what happens when he fills you? As we looked at last week, what happens then? Here it is. And he gave to the church 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. Remember, you're a saint. We studied in week one of this. To equip you and I, the saints, for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to to the stature and fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. So that, why, here we go, it builds itself up in love. Straight back to love. We've been given our life together as a framework, a lattice, like a vine, if you will, That it is, love is the lattice that we grow up and intertwine in and overflow from. It's love. This is why we do growth track. It's not because it's growth track is awesome, but it's simply the the vehicle which through you can go and learn about God and then learn about yourself. What is my gift? If, If God went to all that trouble, if Jesus went to all that trouble to give you a gift, Right? Think about that. There, there is a ton of theology wrapped up in that scripture. But here's the bottom line. Jesus went to all kinds of sacrifice so that you could have a gift to be put to work in the body of Christ. That's why we do growth track. We're going to do another step three live on December 8th right here. Sign up at Info Central. Get, get the first two steps done. They're video based. And, and let's, let's get a shovel in our hand, just like we did last week. And let's put our gifts to work in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. To the glory of Christ. So, so our family, our life in the family of God becomes corporate. We don't do it alone anymore. We have these gifts to shepherd, teach, and learn the way of Jesus so that we can be built up and equipped to do effective ministry. But what is effective ministry? It's a great question. It's being an agent of reconciliation between people. It's, I said, my job as a pastor to stand in the middle and call you towards this place where Shalom is, where Jesus is. And then it's your job to go out into the world and look at your circle of influence and say, this is the way to peace. This is why we invite. This is why we tell the story of Jesus. This is why we love Christmas. Because we are bringing people and inviting them to something so much better than whatever it is that they're chasing. It's Jesus. Jesus is the prize. It's important. Because Paul and the Holy Spirit here seem to see in us that we are prone to wander. Aren't we? We are prone to wander. Prone to get carried away by the empty philosophies of this world. To be distracted by certain conversations that our world is having. But together, operating in our gifts, we can grow into maturity. 
the fullness of Christ because Paul paints for us that when we're equipped and working, the body grows with each other and builds itself up in love and we actually, in maturity then, can look with Jesus at Tampa Heights, at Ethiopia, at each other. All of those things come full circle because we, we have to be transformed by Christ so that we can look with Christ. So, so as you consider all of that, and like you have to listen to this again, you have to read this passage again, and just meditate on it and search it this week. But with all of that comes the rest of chapter 4. And this is powerful because you're going to begin to see what your personal life will look like as a result of what is happening corporately in the body of Christ. Look at verse 17. It says, I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed in every practice, every kind of impurity. Sounds a lot like Tampa, doesn't it? But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So what do we do? What do we do with all of that information? We stop walking in darkness because we don't have to. Jesus rescues us from that and gives us a new path. What we learn from Jesus is that we have a new self to lean into that is renewed in the Spirit and like God in righteousness and holiness. They are gifts from Him that we can then walk in. So we don't have to lie to each other anymore with these false lives and facades and act like things are fine when they're not. When we get angry, we don't sin in this new identity because instead we go to people with overflowing love in our heart and speak the truth to each other. That alone will bother people. (laughs) Some people are looking for a fight. But keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. It's amazing. We work the soil of our jobs so that we have something to share with others. What a powerful part of that 
that is. Therefore, we aren't grieving the Spirit of God, but instead are dropping those rocks of bitterness in favor of this new way Jesus walks us into where we are kind and tender-hearted, forgiving each other just like Jesus. That the reality of our new identity in Christ, being in the family of God, this is what God's kids do. This is what God's kids look like. It's Thanksgiving week. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Together we're thankful that Jesus is the head of the church. That it sits in His strong and capable hands. That He, as we started this morning, saved us from that law of sin and death. That He gave us Jesus. That we are now a family of God's kids. How awesome is that? Praise Him. I want to end this way. I'm going to have the band come up and play an old hymn for us. And you're going to love it. But as they come, there's a thread in Scripture and there's a thread in this song that talks about an Ebenezer. It's going to say that we raise our Ebenezer. Ebenezer in Scripture means this. Don't, don't, don't miss this or you're, you're not going to get the song. But here, here's what it says. It says, Thus far the Lord has helped us. That's our testimony. Thus far the Lord has helped us. This is the lattice of our life. Thus far the Lord has helped us. Maybe the holidays are hard for you. I'm going to get out of your way. Maybe the holidays are hard for you because you've lost a loved one or are going through a difficult time or you lost a job or you're homeless or whatever the case may be. I don't know. But in, in that space, there's hope because you have a family here but you have a loving Father who is seated on the throne and has all things in their, under His control. And not only that, but He is a Lord who wants to help you. He wants to draw near to you. Scripture says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. What's beautiful about that is He moved first in coming as a baby to come to you. We're thankful for Shalom. Flourishing. That that's even a possibility here. 